Okay, thank you, Sarah. Everyone else, uh, I invite you to open up to Romans 14, and as our preschoolers are headed off to their class. Romans 14. As you're turning there, I want you to think about a time, uh, maybe in the past, where you have tripped or stumbled over something. Uh, We all have done this. Uh, It can be kind of embarrassing if you're in front of people. Uh, A lot of times as I'm walking up here, I'm thinking, you know, just don't trip, don't trip, don't stumble, don't trip. Uh, Sometimes you trip out in public and you're not sure if anyone has seen you trip or stumble. And you kind of do that look around to see if anyone else has seen you trip or stumble. Uh, Sometimes I trip over nothing at all. It's almost like the ground just kind of jumps up and bites me and gets me. Nothing there. I just just stumble. However, sometimes and other times I I do trip over things that people have left lying on the ground. Uh, I typically wake up before Britt and the boys And my routine is to go downstairs and make uh, a nice cup of coffee uh, to the brim and and then carry that up a dark stairway and down a dark hallway uh, to get to the office. And it can be at times an adventure, uh, an adventure of Legos and toys and things that have been left in the hallway from the night before that I'm stumbling over and trying to get through to get to the office Typically, it's not enough for me to actually spill my coffee, but it is enough to slow me down and to kind of hinder me from getting to my office. And then other times, uh, once I get to the office, I trip over things that I've left laying on the ground, and I have no one else to blame except myself. And that's the most, that's the, that's the most painful time, isn't it? It feels a little better to be able to blame someone else for you tripping and stumbling over something, but when it's your own fault, it just hurts all that much more. I'll see something in my office the night before, and I'll think, I should probably move that, or else I'm going to trip over it in the morning. But then I say to myself, nah, I'm pretty agile. I'm pretty nimble on my feet. I won't trip over it. I overestimate what what morning Grant, pre-coffee Grant is capable of. And then the next morning, I stub my toe on the exact thing I was worried about the night before. But what about you? You, you, We all probably have some good good trip and stumbling stories. Uh, And maybe that would be a good thing to talk about in Citigroup this week. Uh, What was the most embarrassing trip and stumble you've had? Um, if you're in my city group, come prepared Tuesday to share that. But have you, have you left things on the ground that you were responsible for that other people have tripped over? And now it, it can be a serious thing at times, right? I mean, people's toes get stubbed and it can be even a more serious thing if someone slips and falls and injures themselves. But an even more serious issue for us to consider this morning is what are the things we are leaving on the ground that others are tripping over as they follow Jesus? As someone is walking with the Lord and with his people, are we helping and encouraging that walk or are we hindering it? We'll also need to consider today, as ones who are walking with the Lord and with his people, um, are we stumbling too easily over everything? Are we stumbling over things that aren't even really there? Are we stumbling over things that we ourselves have left on the ground and not dealt with? We are in Romans 14 this morning, and hopefully you've got that open and in front of you, and we're picking up things in verse 13. And you'll remember that this is a portion of Romans where the Apostle Paul is exhorting us to love one another, to love one another. And last week we started into Romans 14 and we saw how we are to love those who differ with us over matters of conscience, over things that are not explicitly forbidden or commanded in Scripture, over these tertiary doctrines, over matters of conscience and opinion. 
We're talking about things like how to best educate kids and what style of music we use in worship and how to spend our time on Sundays and what entertainment to consume and how much entertainment to consume and whether or not cosmetics and jewelry should be worn, whether or not jeans and shorts should be worn. Should we play sports? Should we watch sports? Can we drink alcohol in moderation? How much sugar or caffeine should we consume? Should we eat fast food and drink soda? Should a Christian get piercings or tattoos? Our eschatology, how we believe the events of the last days will play out. Dancing, vaccines, the chosen, our preferred English translation of the Bible, video games, smart phones, use of the internet, whether or not we celebrate certain holidays, what music we should listen to, how do we best honor our parents in old age, and is it okay to take on debt? Those are the things we're talking about. Let me remind you from last week. Those are the things we are talking about, just to name a few. And last week we learned how we are to love those who differ with us over those things. We learned that we honor the Lord and we love one another by not quarreling and by not condemning one another over matters of conscience. We learned that those with a strong conscience on an issue, meaning that those with a strong conscience are those that feel free in Christ to partake in something that Scripture does not forbid. We learned that those with a strong conscience are not to despise those with a weaker conscience. And we learned that those with a weaker conscience on an issue, a more sensitive conscience on an issue, those who are trying to honor the Lord by abstaining from something, we learned that they are not to judge and condemn those with a stronger conscience. And we ultimately learned where we're working as we get into Romans 15 next week is that ultimately we are to welcome one another into friendship and fellowship as the Lord has welcomed us. And so that's where we are picking things up. We're still talking about matters of conscience. We're not talking about things that Scripture clearly defines as sin. And we're not talking about core Christian doctrines that are clearly taught in Scripture. We're talking about opinions, preferences, and matters of conscience. And so last week was about loving those who differ in matters of conscience This week is about walking in love with those who differ. How do we follow Jesus together and grow and mature and advance and move forward together? How do we arise, O church, arise together and move forward in love with those who differ? And there really are two questions I'd like for us to consider this morning as we talk about how how to walk in love with those who differ. The first question is this, what are you putting in the path of others that could be stumbled over? That's the first question we'll consider. What are you putting in the path of others that could be stumbled over? And the second question is, whose kingdom are you walking in? Whose kingdom are you walking in? Let's pray and let's ask for the Lord's help. Father God, we thank you for your word. We ask, God, that we would have undistracted hearts and minds to set them upon your truth, to be changed and transformed by them. So, Lord, please help. Holy Spirit, please empower. Give me the the words to articulate well and clearly your truth, that it might change us and transform us. Oh, Father, we hold this treasure in jars of clay. So may you work through even my, my weaknesses and shortcomings so that the surpassing power might belong to you and not to us. We ask that you would move and work through the ministry of your word by the power of your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Romans 14, starting in verse 13. Jamin, can you please stop? Thanks, man. All right, Romans 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Okay, we talked about this last week. 
Therefore, in light of the previous 12 verses that we've just talked about, let us not pass judgment on one another. Let's assume the best of one another. If there's, if there's something we really need to talk about with a brother or sister that we're concerned about, let's go and do that. But in the meantime, let's assume the best of them. Let's not condemn or judge them in our heads or to one another. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather... You see that? But rather, don't judge other people over matters of conscience, but rather make this judgment call. Decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Stop judging one another on these things, but instead decide, make this judgment call, to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the path of a brother or sister. If a brother thinks it's wrong for him to eat meat, don't invite him to a cookout and shove meat in his face. It would hurt his conscience. It could cause him to sin against his conscience. He wouldn't be able to eat the meat by faith, and therefore it would be sin for him. This is the obligation of those with a strong conscience in regard to an issue. Not only are they not, they not to despise those with a weaker conscience, but they are not to use this Christian liberty that they have in a way that would cause their brother or sister to be troubled in their conscience or to be tempted to sin. And there's nothing wrong with having a strong conscience Paul considers himself to be as, as one that is among those with a strong conscience on some things. But he says, hey, if you're going to walk in love with those who differ, not only do you need to consider your own conscience, but you need to also consider your context. Consider your context. The greatness of having a strong conscience on an issue is that you are now free to partake or abstain depending on the context you find yourself in. And you can do both by faith. So this is a key point if you're taking notes. If we are to walk in love with those who differ, not only are we to consider our conscience, but we are also to consider our context. Our context. Will my exercise of my Christian liberty cause my brother's conscience to be harmed and thus trip him up in his walk with the Lord? Look back at verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. You'll remember he's talking to Jews in the church who grew up with the old covenant food laws and they considered some foods to be clean and others to be unclean. He's talking to Gentiles who've, who've been a part of some pagan practices in their past where they've been in worship services where food and drink have been used in the worship of demons. He's writing to a church in a city where some of the meat and wine being sold in the market has been previously used in the worship of idols. And this has caused some in the church to say, hey, it's just best not to eat meat at all. Like, let's just distance ourselves from these things with a dark and pagan past. And here Paul gives us part of the beautiful doctrine of creation and redemption and he says, nothing is unclean in itself. Nothing is unclean in itself. But then he says, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. The meat, the meat and the wine that have been used for pagan and sinful purposes in the past, he's saying they are not unclean, but they are for the one who thinks they are. And those two things are not contradictory statements. This is not Paul falling into relativism, where just, well, you know, what's true for you is true for you. This is, this is my truth over here. That's not what's happening here. What Paul is doing is he's teaching us just how important our conscience is. 
He's teaching us just how important our conscience is. It is clear from this passage that the point isn't really about the food and the drink. It's about listening to your conscience. Because disobeying your conscience can be a really dangerous thing. Because the more you disobey it, the more you sear it, the more you quiet it, the more you drown it out, the more you can't hear it. And our conscience, it is, it is God's gift to you, to guide you and to protect you. And we wonder sometimes when we see things on the news or hear reports of, of, of just great evil and heinous and cruel things being done, we wonder, like, how, how do those people sleep at night with such a guilty conscience? And the truth is, many of them can't sleep, and they need some sleep aids to, to help that guilty conscience. But others have not listened to their conscience long enough that it has become seared and silent. It no longer serves to guide them and protect them as it has been drowned out by their sin and their refusal to repent. And so someone who's convinced that they shouldn't eat meat, and you can fill in that eating meat, you can fill in that blank with any of those things I listed at the start. Someone who is convinced that they shouldn't do this or that, that they shouldn't watch this or that, shouldn't consume this or that, shouldn't celebrate this or that. Someone whose conscience is telling them, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. You whose conscience is stronger in an area should not pressure them to disobey their conscience. Okay? You with a stronger conscience should not pressure someone with a weaker conscience to disobey their conscience because it is a dangerous thing to disobey your conscience. It's a dangerous thing to just stop listening to your conscience. But, but, you should encourage their conscience to over time be trained and transformed by Christ. What did we talk about last week? We talked about how no one's conscience is perfectly aligned with the will of God. We all need our conscience to be trained and transformed by Christ over time. And that involves three things. That involves our dependence upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into a believer and, and, and changes and transforms and, and energizes their conscience to be more aligned with God's will. So there's a dependence on the Holy Spirit. There must be also a commitment to the Scriptures, to continually learning from the Scriptures and letting the Scriptures train and transform our conscience and how we think about certain things. And for our conscience to be trained and transformed by Christ, not only does it involve dependence on the Spirit, commitment to the Scriptures, but it also involves wisdom from the church community that we're in. We have the gift of one another. We can talk through some of these issues with one another. We can pick one another's brains. We can learn from people's past experiences on things. We can gain wisdom from one another. And that should be training and transforming our conscience and how we think about things. But nonetheless, it is wrong for anyone who thinks eating meat is wrong to eat. They'd be disobeying their conscience. But that doesn't mean that they always need to think that way. We can encourage their conscience to be trained and transformed by Christ through the power of the Spirit, through a commitment to the truth of his word, and in the midst of wisdom from one another. Our conscience needs to be trained and transformed. The original disciples of Jesus, they, they needed their conscience to be trained and transformed by Christ. I mean, they had grown up thinking of certain foods as clean and others as unclean. And then Christ comes along and starts saying things in Mark chapter 6. Uh, this is a passage that we're, our city groups are going to be getting to soon in Matthew. But, but Jesus comes along in Mark 7, uh, excuse me, yeah, Mark chapter 7, verse 15. And he says, There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? 
Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it, thus, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Little anatomy lesson there from Jesus. It enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. All this sin is not just out there. It's in here. This is where it's coming from. And that truth the truth of Jesus' words needed to change how the disciples thought about food. And not only that, it needed to change how they thought about people, how they thought about the Gentiles, how they thought about unclean and clean things. And it's going to take Peter some time to get his conscience aligned with Christ on this one, isn't it? As we read the New Testament, we see it's, it's going to take Peter a little while for his conscience to get aligned with the will of God. It's going to take, after this, then later on, a vision from the Lord in Acts 10, as the Lord is helping him see that the Gentiles have also been welcomed into the people of God as well, and he's, he's shaking up this distinction of clean and unclean. It's going to then later take Paul calling Peter out in Galatians chapter 2 over some of these things. It's going to take Peter some time for his conscience to be trained by Christ. And it's going to take us some time for our conscience to be trained by Christ. And so Paul is not saying that those who think they can't eat meat need to just get over it. That's silly. And other Christians should just force them to do something that goes against their conscience. No, he's not saying that. He wants to protect their conscience. He wants them to listen to their conscience, but he also wants their conscience to be trained and transformed by Christ. And how we think about things, church, should change over time through the power of the Spirit from the truth of his word and in the midst of wisdom in the church community. An example of this was from uh, J.D. Crowley in his book, Conscience, which was the book I recommended to you all. It's, it's uh, one we have out in our bookstore. Um, he shares a story from Cambodia where he served as a missionary. And in the tribal areas where he served, at that time, the most important musical instrument was the brass gong. Okay, you can picture those big you know, brass gongs, people hit with mallets. I'm recommending that that's how we start our worship times together. We get rid of the countdown on the screens, and instead it's just, man, when you hear this, it's time. It's time. Yeah, all, right, we've got, all right, we've got some support. Good. We're going to have to keep the momentum going before it gets it's squelched. But this was a really important instrument in that culture for the, the Cambodians. And so when they were coming to Christ, the missionaries there were encouraging and suggesting that they use these gongs in the worship of Christ. Like, hey, this is an important instrument in this culture. Let's use these to worship Jesus. But they were quickly, uh, the Cambodians quickly rejected the missionaries on this one. Those that had just come to faith in Christ, their conscience just wouldn't allow it because they so strongly associated these brass gongs with the worship of demons and idols that their conscience just couldn't allow them to use it in the worship service of, of Christ. And so in order to not harm their conscience, the, the missionaries agreed. They didn't push back and say, no, you know, the Bible never forbids this anywhere. We should do it. No, they agreed. They didn't use these in worship. But then what they saw over time was as the people grew in Christ, as they committed themselves to the scriptures, they came to see that, that music and musical instruments in and of itself, they, they were not evil. They came to see that these brass gongs, these instruments in and of themselves were not evil and that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And therefore, years later, 
they had no problem seeing Christ redeem these instruments and start using them in worship. And he writes in the book that 15 years later, now in that part of the world, brass gongs are mainly associated with the worship of Christ. (laughs) Because all the pagans have either come to Christ and now use their gongs to worship him, or they've sold their gongs to buy TVs. That was the other thing that happened as well. Still going to chalk it up as a win for Jesus, okay? But you could, I don't know. Is it worse with more TVs? I don't know. But now when they think of that, now when they hear that sound, now that, that's associated with worshiping Jesus. You see how their conscience was trained and transformed, and yet you also see the love of the missionaries to not press on them and push them into something that would make them uh, 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 disobey their conscience. They weren't pressured into disobeying their conscience, but their conscience was over time trained and transformed by Christ, and they did come to think differently about these instruments as they developed a stronger conscience about them. But this takes time. This takes time. This takes walking with people over time and patiently loving each other even when our consciences are always aren't aligned on every single issue. And so for us, the playing of brass gongs might not be what causes people in our context to stumble. But what are you leaving in the path of other believers with weaker consciences that is, is hindering their walk with Christ? What are you leaving in the path? Look at verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. This good gospel this good news that we have, that we celebrate, that we have been justified and declared right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. This good news that we no longer need to work for our rightness with God, but instead in Christ we get to work from our rightness with God. Don't hinder your brother or sister's walk and by doing so cause someone to think poorly of the gospel and the freedom we have in Christ. What are you putting in the path that could be stumbled over? Ask the Lord to show you this morning. Even now, Lord, show us. Now, a side note is that some of you are stumbling over things you've put in your own path, like me in my office in the morning. You've maybe been indecisive about matters of conscience. You haven't pursued your conscience to be trained and transformed by Christ. You haven't triaged your beliefs like we talked about last week. You don't know if this is a hill you should die on or not, or if this is a hill you should be open about. And then when it comes time for you to either partake or abstain to make a decision on something, You struggle and stumble to do either one by faith. And therefore, your conscience is harmed. And you stumble on the path with no one to blame except yourself. But more importantly, what are you putting in the path of others that they could be stumbling over? Walk in love with those who differ now, verse 15 and verse 20, are, there are some big key truths in those verses that help us see why this is so important, and they help us put things in proper perspective. Verse 15 speaks of these brothers that were causing to stumble as those for whom Christ died. Those for whom Christ died. Verse 20 speaks of them as the work of God. The work of God. If God has done the great work through Christ to make sinners saints, 
if he had died so that the unclean would be made clean, if he has done the work to bring this group of people together to form his church, don't hinder and don't destroy all that simply because you want to exercise your Christian liberty. Simply because you want to be right. Here's where we need to see that our love for people must be greater than our opinions on matters of conscience. Our love for people must be greater than our opinions on matters of conscience. And therefore, as we walk in love with one another and with those who differ, we must consider our conscience and also consider our context. Our context. What are we putting in the path that could be stumbled over by others? Those of you with a strong conscience, you need to consider that question this morning. Praise God for the faith that he's given you to have a strong conscience in certain areas. You are now free to partake and abstain, now not out of guilt and obligation, but out of love for God and love for your brother, depending on the context you find yourself in. It's a wonderful thing to have a strong conscience about something, but, but you haven't been freed to just think about yourself. You've now been freed to show love to your brother and sister. So consider your own conscience, but then consider your context and decide to love, that, that it's more important to love your brother or sister than to quarrel and condemn over matters of conscience. But then, I mean, not only do we have people that are, that are leaving things for people to stumble over, but then there are people in the church who stumble over every little thing. And sometimes there's not even anything there at all to stumble over. And they're consumed with blaming their brothers and sisters for their stumbling. Their conscience is so weak about every issue that it makes it really difficult to walk with them and to move forward with them. And so for those of you with a weak conscience in multiple areas, the question you need to consider this morning is, whose kingdom are you walking in? Whose kingdom are you walking in? Is it yours? If so, maybe you do have a point in policing what everyone here eats and drinks and watches and spends their time doing. But if it's God's kingdom that you're walking in, then that changes things for you. That changes how you walk. Look at now at verse 17. Whose kingdom are you walking in? Look at verse 17 with me. Romans 14, verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We are to be walking as citizens of the kingdom of God. On the flip side, I mean, the kingdom of man is all about the opposite of these things that we see. The kingdom of man is all about self-righteousness. The kingdom of man is all about anxiety and turmoil and despair. 
I mean, those dragging their feet in despair, they will trip and stumble over every little thing. But not in the kingdom of God. Whose kingdom are you walking in? Are you walking in the kingdom of man, trying to work for your own righteousness and right standing with God? And you do so by judging and condemning others because this helps, helps you justify yourself before him. That's kingdom of man stuff. Or are you walking in the kingdom of God, working from the righteousness you've already received through faith in Christ? Are you walking in the kingdom of man, always anxious about where you stand with God, always insecure and in turmoil with other people about where you stand with them? Or are you walking in the kingdom of God, enjoying perfect peace with God and pursuing peace with others? Are you walking in the kingdom of man and despairing over all the ways your plans have been frustrated? Or are you walking in the kingdom of God and experiencing the joy of the Lord, living as a citizen in the already not yet kingdom, submitting your will to his moment by moment and day by day? Oh, this greatly determines how you are to walk in love with those who differ from you, whether or not you view you're walking in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of man. Are you trying to be the Lord of other people's consciences in an attempt to build your kingdom and reputation and solidify your opinions and preferences? If you are, you're going to be prone to hinder and destroy the work that God is doing in other people's lives. But if you are walking in the joy, if you are walking in the joy as one, in the joy of the Lord as one who has entered the kingdom of God, Oh, then you will be motivated to not tear down or hinder someone else, but instead pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. I mean, it's easy to tear down and destroy things. Any two-year-old throwing a tantrum can do that. And how easily we destroy relationships and marriages and friendships and churches all for the sake of being right about matters of conscience and opinion. Oh, may God empower us to choose the better way, not the easy way of destruction, but the difficult and the uncomfortable way of building and pursuing. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. It's all about building and pursuing, building relationships, building marriages, building friendships, building churches, building true fellowship building up one another's faith and pursuing peace with one another. Well, how do we do that? Verse 22 says, here's here's one way to do that. Look at verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now, that's a bit of a strange statement for us who have grown up in evangelical churches and have been told over and over, to share your faith, share your faith, share your faith. And then we get to a verse that says, the faith you have, keep between yourself and God. Like, what? Well, remember, we're still talking about matters of conscience and opinion. This isn't Paul commanding us to stop evangelizing or to stop sharing the gospel. But he says on matters of conscience, keep the faith in regard to matters of conscience between you and the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't talk about these things with one another. Again, that's one of the ways we train our consciences is is in the community, the wisdom from the, the people of God. But this does mean that those who have a strong conscience, if they can reasonably help it, that they shouldn't flaunt their Christian liberty in front of those with a weaker conscience. If you know that someone's conscience would be harmed by something, you're not to throw it in their face. And this also means that those with a weaker conscience should not police those with a stronger conscience. You should not see yourself as the hall monitor of the church. You should not go looking for every little stumbling block that might be falling out of the pocket of someone exercising their Christian liberty. 
Now again, let me clarify, this is not talking about sin that we in the church do need to call out and correct one another in. We're not talking about core foundational Christian doctrines. We're talking about matters of conscience where the Bible does not clearly forbid or demand and that the conscience of Christians might differ on. Those with a strong conscience are not to flaunt their Christian liberty in front of everyone else, and those with a weak conscience should not police everyone else. Because by doing either one of those, you are in danger of destroying the work of God. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. To hinder, to destroy, to disrupt the work that God is doing? All for the sake of wanting to exercise your Christian liberty someplace? All for the sake of wanting to police everyone around you? Going to hinder the work of God? God, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, has done great work in our lives. The first work that he's done is he's cleansed us. He's cleansed us. He's, he's completely changed this whole clean, unclean paradigm. right? This thing that they're wrestling with, with the food and drink, clean or unclean. When Jesus came, he completely changed that clean, unclean paradigm. I mean, before Christ came, whatever was clean was only really temporarily clean. Once it came into contact with anything dirty, anything unclean, anything sinful, what happened? What happened was the uncleanness overpowered the cleanness. I mean, you could be clean temporarily, but then you come into contact with something unclean, and the uncleanness that used to win. People would touch something unclean, and as a result, they would have to yell out, unclean, unclean, unclean. And they'd be sent out of the camp, out of the community for a time. But then Jesus came, and he totally switched the, the whole power paradigm of clean and unclean. When Jesus came, because he was God in the flesh, his holiness and his cleanness started overpowering all the uncleanness. When Jesus came into contact with uncleanness, he didn't become unclean. The uncleanness became clean. That's how amazing, that's how wonderful, that's how holy, that's how righteous, that's how pure Jesus is. You see, because Jesus is the holy, holy, holy one, his cleanness, his holiness, his righteousness is more contagious and more powerful than any sin you have ever committed or ever come into contact with. That's good news, church. Some of us have, have committed great sins correction. All of us have committed great sins. Some of us, I'll clarify this, some of us, though, have been sinned against in such great, horrific ways. Not all of us have been sinned against as badly as some of you have been sinned against. But the good news of the gospel is that when Jesus came and when Jesus comes into your life, his unclean, his cleanness can overpower and cleanse any uncleanness you've committed or any uncleanness that has been committed against you. And so when Jesus comes to you by grace through faith and you look to him and you trust him, listen, church, his cleanness has now not, it's not just covered your sin. Certainly there's, a, there's biblical truth to that. Christ has covered our sin. But sometimes we think of that as like, well, he's just kind of covered up our sin. That, that's not what it means when Jesus covered our sin. Not only has he covered our sin, but his cleanness has now cleansed your sin. In Christ, you do not need to go outside the camp and yell, unclean, unclean, unclean. Christ already took your sin outside the camp and dealt with it. But sadly, we've been doing church life together now, you know, a little over five years. 
we've done, done enough church life together for just real things to start to get exposed, real life to really start to happen. And sadly, some of you, because of your weak conscience and because of your propensity to judge and condemn, you have made others in our church feel like after having spent time with you that they must walk away yelling, unclean, unclean, unclean. Is your weak conscience destroying the work of God in a brother or sister here? The work of God. God's work in cleansing us and bringing us into the community, into the community of the people of God with one another. Is your weak conscience destroying that work? And on the other hand, is your strong conscience destroying the work of God here? By not considering your context, by not considering the brother or sister in the context you find yourself in, by putting people in uncomfortable situations where they either have to disobey their conscience or separate themselves from you, like are you, by, by flaunting your strong conscience, are you destroying the work of God here? Oh, church, may it not be so here. But may everything we do proceed from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We've talked previously in our study of Romans that we are to live by faith. In, in Romans 1.17, we learn, the righteous shall live by faith. And living by faith, what that means is to humbly trust God in all things. Are you humbly trusting God in matters of conscience? We're going to talk one more week about this next week as we get into Romans 15, these matters of conscience. So you still have time to continue wrestling with the Lord, but are you humbly trusting God in matters of conscience? Are you humbly trusting God in how you walk in love with those who differ? Are you humbly trusting God in how you partake of things you feel you have Christian liberty to partake of? Are you humbly trusting God in how you abstain from things your conscience is telling you to abstain from? Are you humbly trusting God in how you are considering not only your conscience, but also your context? Are you humbly trusting God in how you are deciding and making the judgment call decision to never put a stumbling block in the way of a brother for whom Christ died? How are you walking in love with those who differ? And, and maybe this is more helpful. Think of it this way. How do people feel, how do you think people feel after they have spent time with you and walked with you? If you're ready for real honesty, you might just need to ask, ask them for an honest, honest feedback. How do you think people feel after having spent time with you and walked with you? Do they feel despised and shamed? Do they feel judged and condemned? Is their self-righteousness and anxiety and depression stirred up in them? Oh, church, if we're walking by faith in matters of conscience, people, when they walk with us and when they see us humbly trusting God in all things, oh, I don't know about you, but after I've been with someone who is humbly trusting God in all things, I mean really humbly trusting God in all things, I walk away from that time thirstier for God. <laughs> hungrier for God. I walk away, even if it's someone that I differ with, after I've seen their faith and their peace and their joy as one who is walking in the kingdom of God, I walk away wanting more of God. I don't agree with that person on everything, but man, I want the Lord more. They have made me thirstier for Jesus. People should walk away from times with us and from our city groups and from times when we gather together. They should walk away and to be surrounded by people who are humbly trusting God in all things and they should walk away hungering and thirsting for more of God. And being able to echo Psalm 42, 
Psalm 42, they should be able to echo this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. As a result of people being in our church life, walking with us, are people hungering and thirsting more for God? I believe they are. But I believe as we humbly trust God, even in matters of conscience, we can see this happen more and more here. Where people walk away not hungering and thirsting for more of my opinions on things, but they walk away hungering and thirsting for more of God. I don't want to put any sort of stumbling block or hindrance in the way of someone following after Jesus. I want someone, after spending time with me and after being a part of this church, I want them to be thirsting and hungering for more of God, to be hungering and thirsting for his kingdom and his righteousness. I don't want them to be guilted in to just work for more of their own. I want them to be hungering and thirsting for his kingdom and righteousness. I want the righteousness and peace and joy that I have in Christ to be rubbed off on them and for them to experience that themselves. And so here are those two questions I asked you to consider. Number one, what are you putting in the path that could be stumbled over? We're about to pray. Let's consider that. What are you putting in the path that could be stumbled over? Second question, whose kingdom are you walking in? Church, God has done a good work in cleansing us and bringing us together. And therefore, let us decide never to judge or condemn others over matters of conscience. Let us decide never to put a stumbling block in the way of a brother, but instead pursue peace and pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. And may all we do in life and in matters of conscience be done by faith as ones who are humbly trusting God in all things. Let's pray.